This episode of The Fitcast is brought to you by Pedestool Footwear. They have developed the ultimate sock for people that like to train hard, get the benefits of barefoot training, but also get the added traction like you would in a shoe. Check them out at pedestoolfootwear.com. Hello and welcome back to the FitCast. My name is Kevin Larrabee and my next guest is someone that I've talked about a lot on this show, just kind of behind her back and about her incredible work at Precision Nutrition and the PN blog. And I'm so happy to finally be able to talk to Krista Scott Dixon. Krista, how are you doing? I'm doing really great. Thanks so much for having me. Like I was saying, if anyone is tuned into the episodes that I've done with like Brian St. Pierre, we've kind of always brought you up just because you've had some incredible stuff. And this is free, guys. You can just go to precisionnutrition.com and click on the blog tab on the upper right-hand corner and go through some of Chris's stuff. It's some of the best content on there, and it's stuff that we've even shared within the like the staff at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. Uh, just some incredible, incredible work, and I've just been like a butthead for not having you on until now, or at least not bugging you enough to to get you on here. <laughs> well, now no no buttheadery required. Here I am, and it's all been sorted out, right? It has, and the okay. So this is this is kind of the way that I want to set it up because I have I have this like permanent. Um, it's like a bookmark folder thing that I have in my Safari where I always keep like the articles that I'm always going back to and the articles that I'm always sharing with other people. And I have a bunch of your stuff on there. And I think those are going to be great jumping off points for, for a couple of the discussions that we're going to have today. But uh, I want to start with this this first one that uh, Brian and I uh, talked about a couple weeks ago on the show. And that was the, the article, uh, How I Quit Weekend Overeating. Um, this is an article that definitely, you know, hit home for me. Like, it's definitely one of those things where like you're kind of doing your work week Monday through Friday. And especially for us that like work in the fitness industry, you're kind of needing to show up and, and, you know, be, be in, in great shape. And then the weekend's kind of the chance for you to kind of relax and let go of like the stress of making sure that you're eating perfect during the week. So, um, would you mind talking a little bit about that? Because it's also a very personal story for you as well. Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there in a certain way with the idea that this is kind of, I don't want to say a universal pattern, but it's something that's really common to a lot of people. And I think often maybe our clients or maybe we ourselves as folks in the fitness industry feel like that maybe we're somehow different, right? Like that maybe we are different or should be different. And then when we fall into the patterns that every other person in the world falls into, we feel kind of guilty and weird about it, right? Like what's wrong with me? I should be better than this, or I should be more evolved in this and so forth. And yeah, I mean, there's work that maybe we should be doing in our heads and in our lives that, you know, maybe we're not always doing. At the same time, I think of people in the fitness industry in particular as in a way manifesting the pressures that everyone feels in a sometimes even more significant way, right? I mean, fitness folks tend to work extremely long hours. They work very hard. They're easily burned out because they care so much. They're, they're often working on their own learning. And I think, uh, you know, the pressure in the fitness industry, like you can't just be 
a good accountant Mm -hmm. or a good lawnmower. You have to be really great at a lot of skills and you have to be in shape. Like how many other jobs require people to look good and, and be in reasonably decent shape and, you know, perform well and be strong and all this kind of stuff. So I think I just want to sort of foreground this discussion with saying that fitness people are not special and different in the way that they think that they maybe are in the sense of, you know, the pressures that they face are the pressures that everyone faces and sometimes even more significantly. And so this, this article really resonated with a lot of people because I think it captures this exact feeling that you're talking about, which is like, okay, I'm going to go and be a grown up, (laughs) a mature adult, and I'm going to hold it together and maybe deny some of my impulses like, you know, punching someone in the face or like driving down the median of the highway or something, right? I'm going to hold it together all week long. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the week, it's party time because I need a release valve. I need to sort of let off some steam. So I think a lot of people experience some version of this or another. And, you know, for us, it tends to manifest a lot as eating for some people drinking, um, but it can be anything, you know? And I, and I, so I think the theme in this article is really about how do you navigate this kind of ebb and flow of your life without going overboard in either direction, Mm -hmm. you know, like how do you both hold it together and get some stress release without just driving the car over the cliff. So I guess I kind of wanted to normalize the fact that this is a thing, um, but also to kind of suggest that there are alternatives, right? It doesn't always have to be that way. And a lot of it begins with how you think about it, uh, you know, how you conceptualize the issue. So that's kind of what I, that's kind of how I was starting with anyway. Well, I, I, I think it is, it is almost like flexing that, that willpower muscle for a lot of people for Monday through Friday and at some point, you kind of have to, it's like grip strength. At some point, you got to let go and you can't do it any longer if you kind of think of it that way. And that's perhaps where this this whole kind of like weekend, you know, like you're like a free day or a free weekend comes up when it, uh, in regards to nutrition. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's like there's lots of pieces to this. But another piece is this idea of holding it together, being a very top down kind of externally controlled process. Right. Mm-hmm. Like so that you're you're following the rules or like that it's sort of the, the, the part of the brain that's like, I call it the thinky brain. <laughs> so <laughs> this is my scientific terminology, the thinky brain. So it's really thinky brain keeping the lid on things, right? Because underneath the thinky brain, the feely brain, the sensey brain, the impulse brain is kind of seething with impulses, right? Things we want to do. And so the thinky brain like clamps the lid down, right? And um, so for a lot of people being good, and I'm putting this in finger quotes, being quote unquote good, is really a cognitive thing. They haven't really internalized it. So maybe they will um, eat healthy because they feel like they should, but it's not necessarily so deeply embedded in their value system or who they are that they would do it without thinking or they would do it seamlessly. Like it still requires some element of like conscious decision-making. And I would compare that to something like peeing your pants. Like we all know that in a sense, no one really had to tell us not to pee our pants in public. And certainly, you know, going to the bathroom is a biological impulse that, you know, occurs to us multiple times a day, but somehow 
we don't have to exert a lot of cognitive control to not pee our pants in public. And so there's something that we've internalized about like, hey, maybe this isn't such a great idea to do this. Um, it that, is still like as much as Billy Madison says it, it's really not <laughs> cool to pee your pants. That's still that's still something in 2016 we can stand by. Yeah, you know, and there are very few certainties in this world, and that's a good one. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> in, in almost no culture in the world is that ever considered cool past age five. So, you know, uh, it's a good place to hang your hat. And so, like, you, here you really have two biological impulses, let's say, to eat and to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, for one of them, in a sense, we're doing a lot of cognitive control, which is very exhausting because it requires a lot of decision-making Um, thinking is actually a very costly activity, right? So we tend to do a lot of thinking about it. And especially in the fitness industry, a lot of us are thinking about food and thinking about exercise and thinking about nutrition, all this kind of stuff all day long. So in a sense, our brains are just overheating, grinding down with all these decisions that we're trying to make. Um, And so, you know, on on the weekend, if it's not fully integrated with ourselves and our value system, this is something we do, then it becomes very difficult at a certain point to maintain that cognitive control. This is sort of like like a white knuckle kind of thing, right? It right. can be cognitively exhausting. And then, of course, there's a whole story that goes with it. There's this narrative that we tell to ourselves like, oh, it's the weekend. Well, I mean, there's no biological reason why a period of five days should be followed by a period of two days, right? Um, but, you know, that's the story that we tell ourselves. The weekend as a concept has a kind of significance to us it's it's part of the story that we tell so there's lots of reasons i think and but a, but a, a big part of it is really the stories that we tell and how we think about what this thing is that we're even doing yeah it's like it's like rationalization you know we're we're i, I think you mentioned like you were like tracking everything super hardcore for monday through friday and then you know you you, you know you nailed everything then the weekend was kind of like free for all. And then you get to almost hit like a, like a zero sum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I have a friend who says you have to fall off the wagon sometimes to want to get back on. Yeah. And I actually believe that the down period is as much of motivator as the up period. Mm-hmm. Um, that for a lot of people having that blowout isn't just pleasurable, I think it also offers an opportunity to feel bad, which is also kind of pleasurable for mm-hmm. some people. Like the self-criticism and the self-flagellation and, and the planning and like the, oh, okay, here's how I'm going to get back on track on Monday. <laughs> I actually think that's as much a part of the process mm-hmm. as anything else. And I think to really dig into this challenge, you have to ask yourself what your attachment to feeling bad about stuff is. Because if there was nothing to feel bad about, would, how much fun would this really be? Because right? there, there comes a time in many addictions when you sort of look at the thing that you're addicted to and you're like, I'm not even enjoying this anymore, right? This food I'm eating is like, oh, it's okay. I mean, it's not undelicious, but it's not giving me the same hit that it did before. And so I think for a lot of people, that's the turning point where you kind of go, okay, you know what? Even my addiction isn't fun. Like, you know, I feel at least that something addictive should at least still be enjoyable. But you pass that point when it, when it just, you you just become enthralled to it. Right. Um, yeah. So, so what, what if, I mean, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to the show. And again, I'm I'm like one of them that wants to know 
All right. Well, if you do kind of run into this pattern and for some people it might be, you know, you might do it for a month and you might not for like three months, but there's going to be some times where you kind of get into that rhythm, that pattern, that habit of doing it every, every weekend. Um, how did you, how did you break it? And like, what strategies do you, do you advise other people to use? Well, there's lots of different strategies and I think like what works for people will will differ but i i feel like one of the fundamental underlying skills here is discomfort tolerance mm-hmm. because what occurs is that you experience an urge or an impulse to do something right and it it kind of builds until it becomes intolerable and you're like all right damn it let's that's it we're going for chicken wings right like mm-hmm. there comes a point at which you feel you must act um and i i think for a lot of people that window is really, really small between feeling the urge and the impulse and acting on it. Um, and so with clients, because clients sometimes want to know like, well, why am I doing this? And what are the reasons? And, and that's not irrelevant. Like, I think those are good things to know, but sometimes we'll never know mm-hmm. why this is a thing you hooked into. Like, why was I eating and not smoking? I don't know. It just, that's just how it was. Right. So learning the why is useful, but I, I feel like what's more useful is acting to um, kind of grind the gears of the pattern a little bit. So discomfort tolerance is a really, really helpful skill. And so one of the ways we start with clients is sort of getting a full analysis of the situation. Like, okay, you're a weekend overeater. Tell me about this whole thing step by step. Like, how does it go down, right? For me, it had a very specific pattern. For most people, it's the same. Most of us have fairly routine lives. Um, there's very little that's random. So, okay, here I am. Um, how does this go down? Okay, 5 o'clock on Friday, something happens. And then 5.30 on Friday, something happens. And it's a very predictable kind of step-by-step thing, right? So as the coach, I'd be like, okay, so if things always start at 5 o'clock on Friday, what would happen if you waited till like 5.30 to get the party started or maybe 6 o'clock to get the party started? Oh, okay. That sounds kind of doable. You know, and so between 5 and 6, you'd be waiting. You'd be like, all right, pizza time is coming at 6 o'clock. But what you'd be training is that ability to sit with the desire to do something mm-hmm. and not do it. And then, of course, over time, you begin to expand the window, right, of, of discomfort tolerance until you're, you're – um, your ability to withstand the urges gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's a very behavioral kind of approach. I mean, again, there's lots of approaches. Another approach is something like, okay, what is the feeling that you're seeking out of this? Right. For me, it was like just a release. It was like, okay, it's time to just, you know, let the hair down, put the feet up and, you know, just feel like I'm taking a break. Mm -hmm. Okay. Could I get that feeling another way? Is there something that I could be doing? Um, one thing I started doing was actually cycling home from work, which was, um, about 20 kilometers. It was a fairly arduous ride. There's lots of hills in Toronto. Um, and so I would get home and I'd be like, and so that was like a great, so it would take me just over an hour. Um, and I would get home and I, and it was a, a wonderful release because it was physically effortful, mentally effortful, dodging traffic <laughs> in Toronto. And in, in a way it would almost meet a similar need as providing a break between the weekday and and the weekend and that kind of stress relief. So I found that when I inserted about an hour, hour and a half of tough cycling home, Hmm. I didn't want to eat as much. So meeting the need in other ways, a second kind of strategy that you can use. So those are two kind of good ones that you can start with right away with most clients. Once you figure out either the pattern or the need that they're looking to meet. This this is going to be a weird question. Um, So, 
the the strategy of making people and that you know I've, a lot of fantastic people have, have talked about this the the thought of you know just having people like you said wait an extra 30 minutes like almost get comfortable with being uncomfortable like recognizing what how you feel and then not feeling the need to act on it immediately um do you do you find like you have to do you ever get like pushback on that from people who are just like well I don't want like I just want to just do it now. Yeah. And that's totally fair, right? Like when you're working with clients, you find the thing that they'll hook into. Mm-hmm. So if I suggest it to a client and if I shrink it, like if I say, okay, could you wait five minutes? Could you wait one minute? Right. You know, if like, we, if we never reach any point at which they're <laughs> content to wait, then we try another strategy, right? So um, one of the strategies that's very common, for example, in motivational interviewing is Pick from the menu. Mm -hmm. So you'll say to a client, okay, listen, I got a couple ideas here. Maybe you have an idea too. Let's put those on the right board and and then figure out like which one really speaks to you right now, which one feels very doable to you right now. So, um, you know, it's definitely true that different strategies will work for different people. I mean, some clients will be like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go a completely different way. I'm going to schedule a Zumba class on Friday night. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, maybe that's what is going to work for you. The other strategy I personally love is, and it's such an obvious question when you ask it, but when is the problem not happening and can we replicate the conditions where the problem is not happening? So, you know, if you are overeating on the weekend, let's say it's Saturday, Sunday, well, you're not overeating five days of the week, right? So there's something happening on those five days of the week. There's some maybe environmental condition, a mindset, a situation, we don't know, but there's something happening in those five days. Mm -hmm. Can we replicate that on the two days? And it's such a ridiculously easy concept to say, okay, well, let's just, you know, figure out what's, what's working and do more of that. But I think a lot of us don't look for that because we tend to focus so much on fixing the weakness, right. Or focusing on what is broken And sometimes, in some cases, you can actually completely ignore the problem if you focus on strengthening the strengths and expanding the good stuff. Mm -hmm. The problem will sometimes self-resolve, which is super cool. And it feels a little bit irresponsible from a coaching perspective, right? Because you're like, wow, didn't they hire me to fix a problem? Well, the problem got fixed. It's just a different way than you expected. Okay, so there's a couple of things I want to, to hit on with this with this piece uh one was uh trying to stop rationalizing this stuff um and again that that's, that's like one of those things that it sounds completely obvious to me but the implementation of that stuff seems to be where i'm kind of at at a loss and i want to pause for like one second because this is what is so great about what you guys have put together at Precision Nutrition is you guys look at this stuff from a lot of different angles and there's a lot of different ways that you can address this stuff. And one of my biggest shames is that, God, I, I interviewed JB the first time like 10 years ago. I'm still haven't gotten my level one certification for Precision <laughs> Nutrition. That's something I'm going to change in 2016. By the end of this year, I know there's going to be another run of, of entries coming up uh, for the certification, but from everyone that I've talked to, uh, and obviously like, I know you guys, like I know the systems that you guys have put together. I'm always reading the blog. I need to get my PN certification this year just because it is, it's not only the gold standard, 
for like this industry, I believe, but it is just like far and away, like the best of, of what is offered out there. So if you are not just like in the industry or if you're just someone that's like really interested in this stuff and looking at their systems and how they address this, go and check out the level one certification. It's just, it's just so valuable. And the, 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 the content, the, the people that you're going to get to work with and, and everything is just the best of the best. So I want to say that real quick. And then uh, now we can go back to rationalization. <laughs> well, let me and let me interrupt you for just a moment and, and kind of plug the certification, not from an advertising point of view, but oh, to yeah. say that one thing I'm super excited about is that we've actually completely rewritten the textbook. Oh, wow. So it's in layout right now. So people, I think, let's hope uh, enrolling in the fall certification launch um, in September will get a completely new textbook that contains a lot of this stuff that we have been thinking about and doing. And because obviously there's a lag time between producing a textbook and kind of right. what's happening on the ground. Right. So um, our previous textbook, it's it's still good, but it's a bit out of sync with how we're thinking and doing things. And, you know, it doesn't have a lot of what we learned. So um, the new textbook has all of this stuff and it's very, very systematic. But I think it's also fun because I think that what people got stuck on with the previous textbook, at least from my perspective as a writer, is it didn't have as much fun in it. You know what I mean? Like we tried to write it to be clear, but it wasn't as fun. And to me, so much about biology is really cool and interesting and fun. And so the new textbook has a lot of stuff like you know, here's a fun factoid that you might not know, like, hey, why do we fart? That's interesting, right? <laughs> like, um, and so is I think that, a lot of people- page one? Like, <laughs> are we starting the show with a if show I, If I had been in charge, if I had been in charge, that would have been page one, but, okay. you know, overruled by editorial, what can I say? Um, but, you know, so people get stuck on a lot of the harder stuff. And what I've really tried to do is to make the language accessible and the concepts accessible, mm-hmm. um, but maintain that scientific rigor, right? Like not dumb it down, but just right. make it, much more accessible. So hopefully that is the experience you will have once you commit, recommit to your level one certification journey. (laughs) I've been saying it for, I think, I think it was so bad. Maybe it was even like a year and a half ago the last time I had JB on and and we were talking about, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to see you at the perform better summit this year and I'll have my certification. And now it's like, I can't see him again. I'm going to avoid him at perform better this year just because I, I don't have it yet. And I was have it, so I got to get it this fall. So at least I can say hi to him within the next, you know, 12 to 18 months. So you don't destroy your friendship. He's not like, why is he avoiding me? That's really weird. Well, it, well I mean, even he would do it in the nicest possible ways. Like, I'm sorry, Kevin, I just can't talk to you this year because of that promise that you made. And, you know, I hope we can reconnect in about six to 12 months. Take care. That sounds exactly like JB too. You actually do a very good JB impression. I, there's, about, there's about 12 hours of... John Brardy on this show over the last <laughs> 10 years. So I, I've gotten to talk to him quite a bit. I've been very lucky to do so. But, uh, you know, again, it's just, I, I can't, and you guys, I, I will mention this right now. If people have any thoughts, PN does not advertise on this show. I am just a, a, an incredible, incredible believer in it. And also same thing with our gym at Mike Boyle strength and conditioning. Like we have a bunch of our coaches that have gone through the certification and a bunch of my friends have gone through the certification. And again, just knowing you guys, the team, and the content, uh, highly recommend it. Just make sure you you go and check it out and get in on the fall because they do like the spots get they get taken pretty quickly. So make sure that you you know get on the email uh, list and all that stuff so you can get updates on when those are available. Rationalization. 
All right. I've lost the thread of what we were talking about now. (laughs) So, uh, okay. Again, like this is one of those things where like, I know the answer, but I, I don't necessarily know the, the action steps to take. I know like, all right, well, (laughs) Kevin, you should stop rationalizing. Like it's the weekend, you're tired, you're, you're bored. You, everyone else is going out and, and, and doing that. Like what, what can I do in terms of dealing with with like rationalizing my eating habits on the weekend mm-hmm. i think you've really put your finger on on in a sense of why we have coaches right because so many of us find ourselves at that crossroads of okay i know generally what the outcome i want is but i'm really not sure how to get there right like that is one of the fundamental coaching dilemmas that people come to us with and as a coach one of the things i've really been enjoying doing in the last several years is thinking about this like an engineer. So, okay, let's, let's say I can imagine the outcome, right? Um, so let's say, so one of the exercises we use in coaching is we call it the perfect day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't invent this. I mean, it's all over the place, but the idea is basically to say, okay, imagine a day when you have magically, you know, not constrained by the laws of reality, achieved everything you have wanted to achieve. You've met all your goals. Um, how do you know, first of all, like what indicators tell you what is different about your life uh, that tells you you've met your goals? But also, like, what is a full picture of what that looks like? What are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? You know, what's your routine? And so I often like to start with the end point, that imaginary unrealistic endpoint and say, let's envision that I have successfully conquered this weekend eating thing. Okay. So if that is true, what am I doing on a weekend where I have successfully conquered overeating? Well, I'm probably engaged in meaningful and interesting activities, perhaps socializing, um, in some productive way. Um, and if I'm not, I've probably found some way to have quiet time that feels rejuvenating and restful, but without sparking anxiety and boredom. Okay. That's a pretty big project. Like that's a pretty tall order. But now that I have said that I can reverse engineer it and start to think about, okay, um, productive socialization. What would that look like? Well, you know, um, Bob has been bugging me to go to that boxing class with him on Saturday mornings. I bet you that'd be kind of fun. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. Okay. So now we've just chipped something out of the wall there, right? By looking at the outcome, thinking about how we might get there, we can start to chip away little pieces of it to say, okay, you know, the action now becomes apparent once I begin with the outcome. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say I cannot imagine the actions, like I'm completely stumped, I have no idea. That's when I do a situational analysis of, okay, what am I doing right now. And here's an example. So every Saturday night was one of my nights to just crush it. Right? <laughs> just, um, and so what I would do on a Saturday night is my husband and I would go out for dinner. Um, and that was sort of like a fun thing. That was like our date night. And then I would come home and just keep the party rolling, right? I would come home, walk into the kitchen and be like, all right, what's going on here in the fridge here? Let's have some more. Right? Um, and a simple change I made. So I looked at that. So in trying to figure this out, I looked at this action. And I was like, okay, what am I doing to facilitate overeating here? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm coming home. I'm walking right to the fridge. Well, okay. That's an easy one to figure out. How would I do the opposite of that? 
We call this the opposite rule at PN. It's ridiculously simple, but so much of the time it yields this really interesting insight. What's the opposite of going to the kitchen? There's no real opposite of going to the kitchen per se, but it's not going to the kitchen and it may be going somewhere else in the house. So what I started doing is I set a reminder on my phone every Saturday night to say, when you get home, go right upstairs. And that's it. And once I was upstairs, it was like the sequence was kind of unraveled. Like I didn't need to go back down there. Mm -hmm. I had done a different action than my routine. So sometimes it's as simple as that, you know, small environmental changes coming in. A lot of people come in through their kitchen door. Oh, well, here you are. You might as well eat something, right? What if you came in the front door? Mm -hmm. What if you came in and went to a different place in the house, you know? And so a lot of the time choosing an action that is simply the opposite or an alternative. Like I could have gone to the basement. It doesn't matter. Like (laughs) it's really not about necessarily finding the perfect place to be. It's simply about trying something that is not the thing that you're currently doing Mm -hmm. Um, and almost like prototyping your way towards a solution. Like maybe the bedroom wasn't a good solution. Maybe it had to be the basement and maybe, you know, on subsequent iterations, I'd figure that out. But simply trying something other than what you're doing, once you have a full analysis of all the actions in the chain that lead to what you're doing, again, it's ridiculously simple, but often it works. Let's take a a quick break and we're going to be right back with more from Chris Scott Dixon. Please stick around. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second to again talk to you about our sponsor, Pedestal Footwear. It seems like you guys have been placing some orders and are digging the socks. I told you you would. They are literally engineered for us. The people that love to strength train get the benefits of barefoot training, but still like the traction of a shoe. Like you still don't want your foot sliding all over the place. And a lot of places really frown on a bare foot, especially, you know, you guys, you guys that have the stinky feet. These socks are the perfect balance of the barefoot and the shoe. So when they put these together, they kind of looked at it as, you know, people that love to strain train. Like I know Brennan, he is a lifter. He knows what we want out of a sock, what we want out of a barefoot training environment. And he's helped engineer that and put things in there like the PEDEX abrasion resistant material in the toe and the heel that provides extra protection and durability where most socks get worn out. These things are built to last. And you don't even need to wash them every single time. They actually recommend you wash them every three to five workouts. They have a snug fit, they're breathable, and they have an athletic feel with arch support. These things are made in America. And again, they've been developed, like having that durable silicone grip on the bottom for added traction so you can do things dynamically in them. You don't just have to be locked into the ground. You can move around and still have the traction like you would expect from a shoe. And I promise if you go and check out these socks, they're going to be well worth the investment. You're actually going to have a better training experience. If you haven't tried training without shoes on, oh my God, the information that you can get, that proprioception that you get from having less stuff in between your foot and the ground that you're in contact with is huge. So go check them out at pedestalfootwear.com and place an order. Get a couple of pairs of socks and try them out. I guarantee you're going to love them. They have the Kevin Larrabee, the Fitcast stamp of approval. I'm going to absolutely love them. They've even been featured in Men's Health and Stack.com. Like they are getting loved by all the coaches out there. Like you, know, you see Tony Genelco wearing them a lot. All of our coaches at NBSC got them and they're loving them. I promise you, you're just going to like. Basically, go to Pedestal Footwear, pick up these socks, and you're never going to want to go back to training in shoes or bare feet. Go check them out, 
pedestalfootwear.com and let me know. Send me some feedback. Let me know what you think of them on Twitter, on Facebook, through email. Hit them up on Instagram, at uh, pedestalfootwear. And again, they're fantastic. Go and check them out. Okay, we're back with Chris and Scott Dixon of Precision Nutrition. And there's one more thing that I wanted to hit on in that post. And that is, uh, you, you call it uh, letting go of my food rules. And this is something that, again, I, I've heard talked about a, a lot and saying like, yeah, we shouldn't have these strict, rigid guidelines when it comes to nutrition because that kind of always leads to us setting ourselves up for failure and things like that. So um, my question is, though, how do we know how how much we should let go of those rules? Because I, if, if I was someone who said like, all right, well, I'm eating this certain way, I have this certain caloric ish goal that I'm shooting for. I know the basically the macros that I'm shooting for for right now. But if I let go of those rules, does that mean like, all right, well, I just say, you know, yes, whenever, you know, dessert gets offered or do I say, you know, yes, whenever the guys want to go out and, and have a couple beers, like, like how, how, how do you help people decide how flexible they should be without kind of just going all or none? Mm-hmm. And I think you've put your finger on a really important tension there, which is that people do tend to feel like, because in a sense, the underlying assumption here is I cannot be trusted. Mm-hmm. My body cannot be trusted. My behavior cannot be trusted. And the only way that I can get where I'm going is to have rules and to have external structures. Mm-hmm. Now, for some people, that may be true. Like, for example, if you're a level, what we call a level three eater, so someone who makes their living with their body, right, and at, at certain times before a competition or whatever, needs to follow a stringent eating plan, you got to follow the rules. You don't have a choice. This is your job, right? So you can't be a bodybuilder and be like, nah, whatever, right? There are rules you have to follow. Um, but for most of us that live in the world, um, our goals don't require us to have strict rules. Um, And one question for me is, where do the rules come from? Because I think that is in a way the crux of it. I I have a rule that I don't eat bread. Mm -hmm. And it's not a rule that someone gave me. And it's not a rule that, you know, um, if someone didn't, like if someone saw me eating bread, I would feel bad. But if they didn't see me eating the bread, I wouldn't feel bad. Like it's, it's not about what other people think of me. It's because every time I eat a piece of bread, I get sniffly and scratchy and Mm -hmm. it's just not a good situation. So it kind of comes back to this, like, don't pee your pants in public thing. I don't need an external structure or a rule to tell me not to eat bread. I'm, I'm following the, the inner compass on this one. So I think for a lot of people, one of the things to think about is, are you being driven by rules? And then here I'm kind of meaning like external structures that someone gives you, right? Eat this, don't eat this. This is bad. This is good. Mm -hmm. Or are you following the inner compass, the inner guide, the inner game? Um, And I think part of the issue is that in 2016, we've become so disattuned, if you will, from our inner signals we do feel like, ah, oh, you know what? If I didn't have portion sizing, I wouldn't know how much to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, 
we actually do have a very good machinery for telling us how much to eat. It's just that we have gotten out of practice with it. So one of the ways I sort of like to bridge this with clients is to say, okay, tell you what, let's make it our goal to move towards this kind of inner self-regulation so that you can trust yourself that, you know, if someone puts a party sized pizza in front of you, you can eat to the appropriate level of satiety or understand that you just will never eat to the appropriate level of satiety and somehow figure out how to get out of that situation before it goes completely sideways. Gotcha, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but either way, you're driven by the inner compass. So, so our goal here is to have the inner compass doing most of the decision making for you. But let's recognize that right now you're mostly at the outer game. You're mostly at the external stage. Mm -hmm. So how can we kind of give you training wheels um, like a certain plate size or a certain portion size or like a loose set of guidelines while at the same time training that inner compass mm -hmm. for you. So precision nutrition, one of the things we do is we talk about 80% full, but that's, that's kind of two things. One part of it is an external organization. One part of it is saying, okay, you know what? If you normally order a large, try ordering a medium, try ordering a small, right? Like, so use that external structuring of your portion sizing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, notice how that feels. Start to notice when you're physically hungry, when you're physically full. And so by using those two methods together, you begin to calibrate the felt sense of things. And over time, you start to have this emergent trust of yourself. Uh, you start to go, Hey, you know what? I can trust my inner signals. I can know when I'm hungry. I can know when I'm full. It's just that I've let those skills go and I just need to practice them. So you begin to have confidence that it won't be complete and utter anarchy and chaos. Now, sometimes with a client, I'll say, okay, tell you what, uh, why don't we go into the anarchy and chaos? Like, why don't we test the hypothesis that you will become a walking disaster if we remove the rules. And what typically happens is there is one or two days of complete chaos. And then by the third day, they're like, all right, this sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. You know what I mean? So it's like, there has to be that kind of correction period where there's like a down and an up and a little bit of a, a, a you know, the, the needle moves kind of wildly a little bit. But typically, if you allow people to play in that space, they do surprisingly come back to a, a middle point. So a lot of time it's um, another exercise I'll do with clients. For example, um, if they're really struggling with binge eating for a lot of clients, binge eating is as much about the rebelliousness as it is about the food, right? So if you take away the rebelliousness, they have nothing. <laughs> so I'll say to them, okay, tell you what, um, obviously binging is really helping you deal with whatever you're dealing with right now. Um, you don't have a substitute for it. So let's just, you know, you have my permission, my explicit permission to binge your face off whenever you feel like you need it. The only catch is you have to do it slowly. So if you want to eat, you know, three tubs of ice cream, that's cool. It's just going to take you six hours. That's fine. You know, um, and somehow getting permission to do the thing that they have forbidden themselves to do mm -hmm. is a little bit magical. Cause then it's like, Oh, it's not as fun somehow. Right. It's not as the forbiddenness and the rules around it was actually what made it, joyful and exciting. And now it's like, oh, it's kind of like when you become an adult, you know, when you're a kid and you're like, oh, when I'm a grown up, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then you get to be an adult and you're like, well, <laughs> that wasn't as exciting as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's like, you know, you turn 19 or 21 in the US, you're like, now I can drink. This is going to be amazing. And then you're 35 and you're like, who cares? What do yeah, you do? Yeah. No, it's, 
I'm gonna try to bring things back up because I I don't want to I don't want to. You can still have tons of fun. I'm th- I'm 30 now, so this is this is where I'm hitting like my my what's that quarter life crisis now. We're gonna live to 120, I think. That's I, good. Yeah, it's a good dream. Oh well, I mean, I'm gonna have like bionic arms and a like bionic heart and maybe some like some awesome implants in my brain so I can think better. I hope so. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm just going to be a microchip in a jar by that point. That's my goal. Yeah, the Futurama head in a jar. That's right. That worked out quite well for many of the presidents and celebrities of the uh, <laughs> 21st century. So that's not a bad way to go either. So um, so how, how do I want to ask this question? Um, so when whenever like I am, am like – Whenever I go and to make, maybe I want to call it, I want to call it a bad, like a bad food decision, like a bad food decision. Like I'm going to order a pizza or something like that, or, you know, I'm going to do something that is outside what is considered clean eating and those kind of situations. And I think, you know, from the clients that I've worked with and stuff like that, I found it to be kind of similar in their end as well, but not kind of, not kind of being able to go just like one foot into the water. Like they got to totally jump in to the point where um, like maybe they, they do not stop eating until like, till they are full. Like if you're going to go in, it's, this is just going to be, this is going to be a shit show. You know what I mean? Um, so do you help people like still dial that stuff back? Does, does this make sense? It totally does. And I am that person too. I am a certified plate cleaner. I don't care how big that plate is. I will clean it. Right. <laughs> hey, like, it's even like, all right, well, if I'm going to get pizza, I might as well get ice cream too. Yeah. Just why not? Absolutely. Like, this, it's already over. Like we, the day yeah. is done. We, we, we already lost the, the war against nutrition today. That's right. Why not? Why not just drive that flaming car right through the bank window? Right. Yeah, and it's way cooler. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And, you know, sometimes I don't always want to intervene in that either. Like there's, again, there's always different strategies for things. So some people maybe do need to learn moderation. Um, for some people too, um, it's possible to harness, like if someone's going to clean their plate, for example, um, we give them a smaller plate. Like if they're going to just clean any plate of any size, okay, easy solution give them a smaller plate. Um, For some people, we tackle the thinking that underlies it. So for some people, for example, it resonates with them to say, um, hey, if you give yourself a paper cut, why don't you just hit yourself in the face with a hammer? Because you've already you're already hurting. So just go large. That's a good good analogy. (laughs) I'm with you. So for some people that resonates, right? Or sometimes economic uh, metaphors will resonate. Like you just made a really stupid financial decision. Why don't you throw 10 times more money after it? And they're like, no, I would never do that. Like, so, so sometimes for some people it's domain specific, right? Right. They, they get it in one domain. They're just not getting it in eating. Um, For other people, like for myself, for example, I know that I'll just eat mostly what's there. Like I just, I just will, unless I make some decision to cognitively control it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so instead of trying to work against that mindset, I try to work with it as much as I can. Um, and to begin from the starting point of, okay, maybe I'm not going to change this. So how can I surf with this. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, if I know I'm going to finish everything I take on a plate, again, I take a smaller plate or I get the food, finish it, and then get the hell out of that situation. Um, and I think of it as like a seatbelt concept. So 
it can actually be very freeing in some ways to know that you're just crappy at something mm-hmm. like, cause sometimes we we're, we're crappy at something and we try so hard to be better at it. And sometimes we get better at it. Sometimes we don't. And so for me, the seatbelt analogy is very helpful. So a seatbelt is something like I have acknowledged that I cannot bench press a car's dashboard at 60 kilometers an hour. Like it's just impossible. I'm a very bad dashboard bench presser in a car. So I wear a seatbelt, right? I don't sit around feeling bad about how I can't stop myself from flying through the windshield. I just put on a Mm seatbelt. So I think we sometimes too waste a lot of energy feeling bad about things we're not good at. Mm -hmm. Now, again, obviously one strategy is to become better at those things, but also while that's happening to prevent ourselves from doing unsafe things. So if I'm in a situation, um, a good example is, where do you sit or stand at a party? You know, where there's food. One of the things I used to do is go and basically install myself next to the food table right? <laughs> and just hoover the whole thing up. Well, now I know if I'm at a party and I stand next to the food table, I will eat it. Mm-hmm. So what do I do? I don't stand next to the table. So I acknowledge that I'm a bad next to the party table stander. I don't feel bad about it. And I put a seatbelt in place, which is to say, when I go to this party, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And none of those things involve standing next to the food table. Um, And then there's one more strategy, which is to go into the ickiness. So let's say I always want to finish my plate of food. I would play with, and I've actually done this, I would play with getting halfway through the plate of food and then making myself wait for like five minutes, 10 minutes Cause inside I'm dying. I'm like, Oh God, I want to eat this food so bad. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But again, it's goes back to building that discomfort Mm -hmm. tolerance because part of the problem is I cannot tolerate the fact of not finishing this plate of food. But what if I had to, right? So how can I practice that in a safe way? I can always finish this plate of food, but what if I paused in the middle to allow myself to experience the feeling? Cause I feel like a lot of this revolves around um, you know, people want to know, how can I make the feelings go away? Well, what if they don't like, how can you deal with that situation? Mm -hmm. That's a very good skill to have, to be able to deal with feelings differently than you're dealing now, because a lot of times the feelings just won't go away. There's going to be, there's going to be times when you can finish half a plate and like high five yourself, walk away, feel like a superstar. There's other times, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult. So lots and lots of strategies. Actually, let me just add one more. Um, scheduling something immediately after the activity when you'll be tempted to eat way too much. So, um, one of the things I've got going right now is I have a Saturday morning boxing class. Now, if you've ever done boxing, you will know that it's very hard to do. If you have a food hangover, you feel really bad. So now I have this incentive. There's something I want after this scenario where I'm tempted to make a poor choice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it becomes a series of trade-offs now. Do I want this pizza now or do I want to feel crappy on Saturday morning when I'm trying to punch things, mm-hmm. you know? So sometimes having people um, have an alternative is, is useful. And so, for example, eating to 80% full, get up, like plan to get up and go for a walk immediately after a meal. And that really helps regulate. Or plan to wrestle with your kids immediately after a meal. You get this kind of amplified feedback about how you're making your trade-offs. So uh, let's let's kind of put 
put a bow on this one because I feel like for for this episode, like it's been really great to kind of focus on this subject. It's a, it's a subject that is super important for for us to talk about and uh, to get all that awesome information from you on. Just because, like I said, it's it's not just the audience, but this is something that I'm incredibly interested in too because it's something that I still struggle with today. So. Um, kind of wrapping up on, on that subject, any kind of, any kind of like final thoughts or, or things that people should keep in mind when it comes to this? There's actually a couple pieces. I think, I think that one of them is that like, I, I guess a lot of your listeners are probably people working in the fitness industry or at least considering it. And most of them are doing this in secret and in shame, (laughs) you know? And, and so I, I feel like I'm the person that knows everybody's secrets. I'm like that busybody neighbor that knows everybody's secrets. And the truth is, is that I've never met a fitness pro except for like that 0.01% of the outlier population. Yeah. yeah, The weirdo like engineer brains who are like, well, it is illogical to do this. So I know, you know, you're like, okay, whatever. I don't want to talk to you, but you know, 99.999% of fitness pros at some point, deal with this. And it's often, as I said, more intense than the average person. So if you are a fitness pro and you're listening, and this is somehow resonating with you, I assure you that you are not alone. You are not a special snowflake. You are not broken in some bizarre way. You are just like everybody else. And I don't mean that to sort of, uh, you know, demean what people are grappling with, but just to say, like, we all go through this yeah, almost every like, this, is, yeah. this is me. So for sure. We, it's, it's almost like we can't not because the more attention you put on your food and nutrition and training and body and all this kind of stuff, the more down the rabbit hole you get. And there's a sweet spot, right? Yeah. Like there's a, there's knowing just enough to be happier and more functional and healthy. Mm-hmm. But most of us go way past that, right? And we start to get like, as soon as you open your mouth and say the word macro, I feel, I feel like you're past that point. Right. And it's just the nature of the business. So that, so the first point I would say is everyone is grappling with this. It's like the worst kept non-secret secret in fitness industry. Um, and the other piece I would say is to really, and people are going to want to vomit when I say this, but to, to be compassionate with this because, you know, we work hard, we care about people. Most of us are in this business to help other people, or at least to do some kind of good in the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of pressure on us, you know, long hours, split shifts, running a business, all this kind of stuff. So yeah, you know, we want to cope in some way or another. Food is delicious mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and wonderful. And, um, you know, so be compassionate around that. And, you know, maybe this is a third point. Maybe I was tacking on a third point here, but I've been thinking a lot about the, the issue of joy and pleasure and how that's so rarely discussed mm. in our business. You know, a lot of it is about rules and deprivation and being strict and no excuses and blah, 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 yeah, getting up, yeah. you know, but where's the joy and the pleasure and, and the, the abundance. Um, and so, you know, is there a way, mm-hmm. I'll sort of leave this as a framing question. We could, um, experience that joyfulness and, uh, and abundance and pleasure of food, you know, without having all this other stuff and without compromising our health and, and our performance. So that for me is like the Holy grail, the, the balance of, of everything and tapping into the, the joyfulness that kind of brings us to food in the first place. This is, this is a big subject and, and this is why this is going to be the end of this episode. We're going to do a two-parter because, uh, and this, I think this is the first, first timer two-parter. 
that I've ever done. So this is like I'm, I'm gonna get I'm gonna go down to the the trophy store where they get like the trophies for the soccer teams and the bowling trophies. I'm gonna get maybe I'll get you a trophy, send it up to Toronto for you. But the um, th- there's a couple of things that I still want to hit on before we wrap up. Uh, number one, um, like I mentioned before, there's so much great information at precisionnutrition.com and on the blog. So make sure that you're heading over there and. Like you could spend a whole weekend, a weekend where maybe you would be preoccupied with with food or something like that. You just open up that website and there's like a hundred pages of articles that you can start going through and you know getting a lot of information that is going to be incredibly valuable to you. Um, the other thing that I want to mention is that uh, you should be following Krista on on how how is your social media game. How is it? It's probably weak compared to most people, but I, you know, I, I, I'm on Facebook and I try to post things that I think are interesting and, and relevant. Um, I was on Twitter. I just, I'm not feeling the Twitter, you know, occasionally I'll swing by there and say hi or whatever. But, uh, Facebook is generally, I guess that's cause I'm old. <laughs> it's the media for old people. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you can find me on Facebook for sure. And again, like I try to sort of maintain a presence there and, um, obviously my website stumptuous.com, but Facebook is sort of where I've been hanging out lately just cause it's a great place to dump a lot of the stuff I'm thinking about. Like, Hey, here's a really interesting, you know, thought experiment. I just saw this really interesting documentary. Uh, you know, that's sort of where a lot of my ideation, I guess lives. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a good place to find me. All right. Uh, maybe I'm totally missing something. Fill me in on the, the naming of the website and the Twitter handle. Okay. So when I first started, so I started my website about 20 years ago. I was just thinking about this the other day. Um, so I, I, again, I'm an oldster and, and so, uh, I really did. No, you were ahead of the game when there was like, (laughs) when Amazon was coming together and like pets.com, you, you knew what was up. You knew there was going to be something about this whole internet thing. Yes. Well, and, and actually my master's thesis is about what we would call web logs <laughs> back <shit>. in the <laughs> day. <laughs> and this was a new thing, this web log that yeah. people were, were doing. So um, we figured out what blogs were. Yeah. And, and that everyone could have one, right? At the time it was sort of uh, exceptional. So at that time I was a, a graduate student and, you know, on the graduate student diet of lots of sitting around playing video games and eating stuff. And, um, and so I was about 50, 60 pounds overweight. Um, and, and I'm also short, I'm only five feet tall. And so I was kind of beginning to get a little bit round and, and, so I kind of decided that my, I took one of those quizzes in a, in a woman's magazine, right? Like, what is your body type? And I kind of decided that my, my body type was a combination of sumptuous as in kind of abundant and stumpy. And so stumptuous was sort of born out of that as just like a stupid, a stupid word that came out of that. Stumpy and sumptuous was how I was in 1996. And so I'm still stumpy, um, somewhat less sumptuous, but, uh, you know, there you go. Well, um, there, there you go. And you've been paying the, the bills to the, the domain registers for, for 20 years. That's, that's huge. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I mean, if, if people go to the website, um, maybe the first thing you should do is click on the fuck calories tab. That's, that's something that's very, uh, that's very, it stands out. It's a, it's a good way to get some quick information. It's an ebook. Um, and it's free. Yeah, free is better than not free. Yeah. And that might be the first time I've dropped an F-bomb on the show in 10 years. Well, you know, I kind of bring that out in people, I like to think. Maybe I'll blank that out. I don't know. But hopefully (laughs) 
I, I think it's 2016. Like if you have the kids in the car and they heard F bomb and like I train middle school kids who've come in and like said they went and saw Deadpool, like a <laughs> super rated R movie, like 11 year old kids being taken to Deadpool. I don't think parents not. That's a general statement. Some parents just don't care anymore. So, uh, <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for, for this episode. And uh, we'll be back next week with more uh, from Krista. So in the meantime, don't forget to go to thickass.network. There's a new show coming out pretty much every single day of the week. And there's been an incredible response for the new shows. I really hope you go and check them out. And there's even like a feed that will get you every single one of the shows in one feed. So you can subscribe to that and just get everything every single day of the week. You don't need to think about it. It might be the best way to do it. And if you enjoy what's going on with thickass.network, please, your support is super valuable. Uh, there's a couple ways to support the show on the website. I'd appreciate any kind of support that you can give me as this continues to uh, grow as a business. And then finally, make sure that you're continuing to check out Chris's stuff. Just again, uh, some of my favorite stuff on precision nutrition. I can't say favorite because then Brian's going to hear this and he's going to be like, he's going to, yeah, he's going to be hating on me. Yeah. Um, and now I know Ryan (laughs) as well. So I don't want to, I don't want to play favorites at all. I'm just going to say, go to precisionnutrition.com, check out, uh, the blogs and just incredible articles on there. And maybe it's time if you've been thinking to get ready for the next batch of uh, enrollments for the Precision Nutrition Certification. I know I'm going to be in there this upcoming fall. I'm saying it on this show, so it's going to happen. Not like the last time I said it on the show and it didn't happen. This is different, all right? I swear it's going to happen this time. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We will uh, catch you next time. Take care.